Tonight's scripture comes from Psalm 119, verses 65 through 80. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insulin be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Well, thank you. I'm uh, Art, and for those of you who've never seen me before, I am a partner here. Not a pastor like Dan and Brian, but a partner, which is sort of inside lingo for a member. Um, Like Brian said, this is the first time that I have uh, preached here, and I want to tell you that uh, it gives me joy to look out at all of you and see all these friendly faces, and I uh, want to thank all of you for your prayers in anticipation of me being here this evening. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach God's word, but at the same time I want you to know that it's a humbling experience for me, and I very much feel the uh, weight of the responsibility of uh, correctly dividing God's word. So I'm glad to be here. I guess I shouldn't do that since I have a mic on. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad you're here. So uh, join me in prayer, and then we'll look at uh, tonight's passage. Dear Father, we thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to get together and worship you, uh, to thank you for all that you have done for us uh, in Christ. We thank you for your word, and I I pray as I preach your word this evening that you will give me grace to do it uh, uh, accurately and clearly. And I pray also that you would cause the hearts of everyone here who listens to be soft so that I might be convicted by your word and that you would accomplish your purposes through your word. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. uh, At first glance, uh, Psalm 119 looks very repetitive. And in a certain sense, it is very repetitive. Some of the things, uh, the section that I have, uh, verses 65 through 80, have uh, in common with, the sections that Brian and Dan have already preached on are, number one, 
the psalmist's gratefulness to God for his covenant revelation. In other words, his words and his precepts and his commandments that God uses to communicate those who are in covenant relationship with him. Now, another thing that the section I'm preaching on this evening has in common with the rest of Psalm 119 is the psalmist has a great desire to have God teach him his word and also a great desire to keep that same word. And the third thing that it has in common, and there might be more than three, but I'm going to address three, is the theme of uh, suffering. So what is different about Psalm 119, verses 65 through 80, than the rest of Psalm 119? And I believe the difference is its focus on affliction. Now, affliction may sound like suffering, but it isn't exactly the same thing. It's a little more specific. Uh, I'm not going to go into the definition, but trust me with that. Affliction is mentioned in other sections of Psalm 119, but it's uh, very predominant in verses 65 through 80. Now, during the sermon, what I hope to do is establish a uh, biblical ground for affliction. And the second thing I hope to do is show you the different ways that God uses affliction. And the third thing I desire to do is give us some uh, helpful advice from the Word in how to deal with affliction in such a way that it is honoring to God. So, let's get started. Uh, The biblical ground for affliction. When considering verse 65, and verse 65 says... You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. A lot of us immediately gravitate to the idea of what does it mean to be dealt well with by God. And a lot of us, uh, when we think of being dealt well with, we think of being blessed by God or receiving good things from God. So uh, we might uh, may not take long for our imaginations to think of uh, having a comfortable life, whatever that means to you, and enjoying all the creature comforts that we as Americans have. And these are going to be different for everyone, but it might mean for you having an iPad. It might uh, mean having two cars in the garage. It might mean having a uh, fenced-in backyard that your kids and your dog can play in. Whatever it means, that is uh, something that would, I think a lot of us think, being dealt well with by God would Uh, include. Another thing we might think of is having loyal friends. Everyone wants loyal friends. And if you're married and you're a husband, you want a wife who respects you. And if you're a wife and married, you certainly want a husband who loves you. And any of us who have uh, children, I should uh, call them children instead of kids. My mom always reminded me that kids were goats and not actually people. But if you have children... Um, we all want our children to grow up uh, loving the Lord and following the Lord and not have too much of a bumpy path on the way. Uh, Some other things that you might think of when you think of being blessed by God, of being dealt well with by Him, is uh, having a good career that is uh, monetarily rewarding and also fulfilling. And actually, it's good to have a job in today's world. Uh, To possessing good health and to having the admiration of others, having other people like us. And if none of those things, at least many of us, when we think of being dealt well with by God and think of being blessed by God, um, equate that with not having too many problems. 
So, and many of us, and I think all of us, would agree that we want to be dealt well with by God. Now, the zinger to that comes when we look at the second part of the verse, which I did read, but I'm going to read again now, which says, according to your word. So the whole verse reads, that's verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. So what does it mean to be dealt well with by God according to his word? Does it equal what we just talked about, or is it a little different? Well, most of us don't associate being dealt with well with affliction, but if we look at verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word, we can see two ways being dealt well with is related to affliction. First, God uses affliction to restore us to himself. Not initially saving us, at least in the context of this passage, but restoring us to himself when we go astray. Uh, I think all of us would think that being restored to God when we go astray is a good thing. And God does it through affliction. So what does it mean to go astray? Well, imagine for a second, and this is going to be hard to do, that you are a dog or a cat or a sheep. Most of you are going to feel right at home in your dog house or in your fenced-in backyard or uh, what do sheep stay in? Uh, a pen, although I don't think a sheep, good sheep would like that. But most of us feel right at home when we are in confines like that. We have an owner and we know that we are loved. But if, we happen, if, they, if you're a dog and you happen to jump over the fence, or someone leaves the gate open, or the fence breaks down and the sheep get away, they are going to be what we would call astray. Um, before, we're be, before being saved by God through Christ, the Bible describes us as rebellious and at enmity with God. Uh, if we happen to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance we become adopted children of God. So now we have a home with a loving father. We have a home just like the dog and the cat and the sheep had uh, before they became astray. If over time we drift away from God, like the cat or the dog or the sheep, we become astray. Now I say that all because verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Now this implies that God uses affliction to bring us back home to himself. It means he uses something that we might consider terrible, something that is the antithesis of being blessed, like a spouse leaving us, uh, having cancer, having a loved one die unexpectedly, or plug in whatever your greatest fear is. He uses those things to draw us back to himself. The point is, sometimes bad things happen to us, and we may or may not uh, have contributed to, to draw us back to God. And it, those bad things that do happen to us are orchestrated by God to draw us back to himself. Now, verse 67 also shows us a second way God uses affliction to deal well with us. He motivates us to keep his word. It says in the verse, but now I keep your word. It makes sense. The further we drift from God, the less interested we become in God's word and in keeping God's commandments. 
And this is in keeping with Hebrews, which says, God's word is living and active and reveals the true thoughts and intentions of our hearts, and no one is hidden from its light. God's word makes us all naked and exposed before him and also before ourselves. His word shines a light on us that we can't escape. This also explains in part why Christians living in unrepentant sin, and notice how I said unrepentant sin, often avoid going to church and having contact with people that they know are Christians. So, the further we stray from God, the less interested we are in his word. So, God being a faithful God and loving God, afflicts those who stray from him so that they are restored to keeping his word, something they didn't do when they were astray from him. As Brian pointed out the first week he talked about Psalm 119, it's a blessing in and of itself to keep God's word. But this section, uh, Psalm 119, 65 through 80, points out a number of other blessings to us of keeping God's word. And so look with me and see what they are. And uh, I'm not going to give you a verbatim word for them, but I'll summarize what they are. In verse 66, we see the blessing of good judgment and knowledge that comes from keeping God's word. That's a good thing. In verse 68, we see the blessing of an appreciation of God's goodness. One of the reasons we come here and worship on Sunday nights is so that we can express gratitude for God. It's real easy for us not to be gracious people. Uh, 69 shows courage in the face of lies. Verse 70 shows one of the benefits of keeping God's word is delight. And in verse 73, understanding. Verse 74, the ability to encourage others. Verse 75, the appreciation of God's faithfulness. Verse 76, comfort. And in verse 80, a blameless heart that is not put to shame. So being restored to God through affliction means that we get these blessings and benefits from God. Now, moving on through the psalm, verse 71 affirms what I've already said about affliction. That God uses affliction to motivate us to learn his statutes. But verse 71 also also says something that says that the psalmist thought it was good he was afflicted. He says here, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Now, how could something like tearing your ACL or losing your home to foreclosure uh, or being rejected by someone you care for be good? Well, it can be. It can be a blessing to us if it ends up drawing us nearer to God. And as it is written in Psalm 73, those who are far from you will perish, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. It is good for me to be near God because those who are far from God will perish. So, if you felt being dealt well with by God meant that you would avoid affliction, this psalm indicates that just isn't the case. Affliction is a part of life. That's right. Affliction is a part of life. And because God, as Romans 8.29 says, is committed to conforming us to the image of Christ, uh, his son, we should expect affliction. 
Not just tolerated, as God draws us back to himself when we stray from him. There's also good news for us in this section of Psalm 119 regarding God's use of affliction in the lives of his children. So notice in verse 75 that the psalmist said, God's rules are righteous, and in faithfulness he afflicts us. So God afflicts us in faithfulness. Now what that means is God is firm in keeping his promises to us and true in his allegiance to us even when he is afflicting us. That's good news. This verse also says that God is, uh, that God's rules are righteous. They are just and impartial. Uh, even though we are undeserving, God shows grace to us through affliction. Okay, lastly, because as verse 68 says, God is good and does good, we can be sure that any affliction we suffer is good. Uh, God can't do anything at odds with his character, or he cannot remain God. So every time we face affliction, we know it comes from a good God, that it is good, and that it's consistent with God's character. So, if God is for us, who or what can be against us? In summary, God is good and does good. So the affliction God brings into our lives uh, to draw us to himself when we are strayed from him and to drive us to his word is good for us because it causes us to rely on him no matter what the circumstances. All right, now we're going to look at the different ways God uses affliction. Now, Right now, before I get into that, I'm hoping some of you are thinking this makes sense. Nod your head if it makes sense to you. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. But I'm also guessing that some of you who go to church regularly and read your Bible and pray fairly regularly and don't feel like you are astray from God are wondering, why am I afflicted? And it's a very, very good question. The answer is that God uses affliction in other ways. And if he didn't, how could you explain uh, people like Job in the Bible, which I'm gonna, who I'm going to talk about later, and uh, Jesus Christ? So, a survey of the Bible shows God has a lot of other uses for affliction. I'm going to touch on some of them. One of them is punishing the wicked. So, uh, I'm going to talk about the inhabitants of Canaan, the promised land, before the nation of Israel took over the promised land. Now the Bible says they were very wicked people. Now these are the Amorites and the Jebusites and all these different Ites people. They lived in the land and were very wicked. And as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that the nation of one of the reasons that the nation of Israel was so long in Egypt under slavery was because God was waiting for their wickedness to mature so that he could afflict them with punishment. So when it had matured, God brought the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt, brought them to the land of Canaan, and said, I'm going to punish these wicked Canaanites, and I want you to destroy them for their wickedness. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel did. They destroyed the Canaanites who had uh, lived in the land, uh, the promised land. Okay, another example of God using affliction to punish is his punishment of this same Israelite nation uh, 
once they had occupied the promised land. Uh, Why did he punish them? After all, they were his people. Well, they did it because most of the people, and I use the word most because it's true, uh, who were part of the Israelite nation were not the spiritual offspring of Abraham. They were the blood offspring of Abraham, but they weren't the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And the reason they weren't the spiritual offspring of Abraham is because they had not believed like Abraham, and so God was not able to credit righteousness to them as he had credited righteousness to uh, Abraham. So, what God did with them is, uh, because they went through the motions of keeping God's laws and keeping his sacrifices and really didn't love God with their hearts out of faith, what God did to them was punish them with their enemies, the Babylonians. So the Babylonians came into the promised land, took a remnant of the nation of Israel and brought them into exile back back to their own land, Babylon. Now, question is there or are there any lessons for us to be learned from this uh, Old Testament narrative about God's uh, punishment of unbelieving Israel? Well, I believe there are. And one of them is a good reminder that God is uh, both just and he is jealous. Uh, he won't allow people to profess that they are Christians, uh, that they're his, and uh, just because they grew up in a Christian family or go to church or have religious behavior, that they can live like the non-Christian world and get away with it. So, if you're not reconciled to God by faith in Christ when you die, you will be punished in the end at Christ's return. You will be driven into exile, away from God, just like the unbelieving Israelites were driven out of the promised land into Babylon. Let me say that again. If you're not reconciled to God by faith in Christ, when you die, you will be punished in the end at Christ's return. You'll be driven to exile, away from God, just like the unbelieving Israelites were driven out of the promised land into Babylon. Before we go on, This is really important uh, before some of you sink into depression because you're thinking that God is using the affliction that you're experiencing to punish you. It's important for you to know that God does not use punishment or God does not punish his adopted children, no matter how sinful or bratty they are. God does not punish his adopted children. When God's children, you and I, Need straightening out because of our unrepentant sin. God disciplines us, and he disciplines us in love, and it's for our good. Uh, He disciplines us, and he does not punish us. Now, the question is, why doesn't he punish us? And the reason he doesn't punish us is he has already punished his son Jesus on the cross for our sins. God poured out his wrath on his son on the cross once and for all for our sins. Very, very important thing to remember. So, if you're experiencing affliction, you are a Christian and have not strayed from God, 
Why are you experiencing affliction? There are two other reasons that we're going to look at from the Bible. The first is that we're being tested by God. Uh, We're not being tested by God in the sense that he needs to find out anything about us. He's not like our 10th grade math teacher who wants to find out whether we understand the material or not. Psalm 139 says, God has searched us and he knows us. He discerns our thoughts from afar and is familiar with all our ways. So why does God test us? Well, he tests us so we can find out about ourselves, how our faith is holding up when we uh, can't find a job, when we uh, are feeling anxious because the prospects of a relationship don't look very good, or when we find out we can't have children or whatever you want to plug in. Um, So how about you? How has, has your faith held up to your most recent affliction? All right, last reason we're going to look at for God using affliction in the life of his adopted children in Christ, uh, believing Christians, is to refine our character. As I mentioned before, Romans 8.29 says that God is committed to conforming us to the image of Son, of his Son, the likeness of his Son, so we more clearly reflect to others who God is. In conclusion, for this part of the sermon anyway, If you are a Christian and are experiencing affliction, it is because, as this passage in Psalms points out, you are astray from God, or elsewhere as we've seen in the Bible, and again we're talking about Christians, God is revealing the health of your faith to you, or God is refining your character. Therefore, given that affliction is from God, and is at least good for those who are trusting Jesus with their lives, how does the Bible tell us we should respond to affliction? Well, the first and best place to find out how to deal with affliction is the Bible. And aside from knowing that God is divine and powerful, which he reveals to absolutely everyone, Christian and non-Christian, through what he has made, through what he has created... Uh, Everything God wants us to know about him, he shows us in the Bible. It is, after all, God's word, and Christ is the word of God. So, what can we learn from the Bible that will help us deal with affliction? Well, in verses of Psalm 119 we've looked at already today, we can see from verse 76 that God's love for his children, adopted children, is steadfast. That is, it's firm and secure and not wavering. No one is as reliable as God. Not our spouse, not our best friend, not our parents, not even our pastors are as reliable as God. Um, So remember... Oh, and I wanted to say after that, uh, we also know when we say that God is reliable, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So as we heard in the great music, uh, God doesn't change. And since he doesn't change, we need to remember that uh, God isn't loving us any less when he is afflicting us, and he isn't loving us any more when he isn't afflicting us. Let me say that once more. 
God isn't loving us any less when he does afflict us, and he doesn't love us any more when he isn't afflicting us. All right. We also see in verse 76 that God is there to comfort us during times of affliction. Okay? So oftentimes when we run into affliction, our tendency is to run from God and not run to him. Well, this verse says that God is there to comfort us. So we need to run to him when we are facing affliction. And verse 77 teaches us that God's mercy is available to us during times of affliction. Now, what is mercy? Well, one definition is it's not getting what we receive. And so, uh, even though we don't deserve anything, God shows us grace during times of affliction. Uh, There are a lot of other passages in the Bible that can be an encouragement to us as we deal with affliction. Uh, I'm going to give you a few highlights of what they say, so please don't try to follow me as we do this. You'll only get frustrated. Psalm 22:24 says, God has not hidden his face from the afflicted, but has heard him when he has cried out to him. So what should we do when we're afflicted? We should cry out to God knowing that he hears us. Psalm 34:19 says that those to whom God has imputed Christ's righteousness, and that's because we don't have a righteousness of our own, that those people will have many afflictions, but the Lord will deliver uh, him out of all of them. Now, it may not look like you and I would want to be delivered, but God does promise to deliver us out of our afflictions. Hebrews 12, 5 through 8 says that the Lord, and this is really a good verse, I guess it's more than one verse, says that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives And God is treating you as a son or daughter when he disciplines you with affliction. If God doesn't discipline you with affliction, you are illegitimate children and not sons. So that says right there that it's good to be afflicted. It tells us that God looks at us as his adopted children, and it's not good to not be afflicted. Uh, 2 Corinthians says that the affliction we do experience is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Romans 8.29 says that God causes all things to work together for good. That's all things to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. So this doesn't mean that all our cares are disappear, will disappear, but it does mean that God will cause them to work together for good in terms of conforming us to the image of his son. Now, twice during the passage that uh, I'm talking about this evening, you saw the word insolent. It was in verses 78 and 69. I did that backwards. Uh, And the insolent are the people that cause us affliction by lying about us and also doing wrong to us. Um, 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, they will be justly repaid with affliction by God. And that what that means to us is that we don't have to seek our own revenge. God will take care of things for us when we've been afflicted by God, but wrongly accused by other people. Verse 72 of Psalm 119 sort of sums all this up. It says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So, 
Money may or may not numb the effects of affliction, but only God, who fashioned us in his image, has an intimate relationship with us and loves us as adopted children, can give us real peace and comfort in the midst of affliction. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible also teaches us how to care for others who are afflicted and how our affliction could be used by God in the lives of other people. As to how to care for those who are afflicted, uh, we have the example of the life of Job. Now, Job was a very wealthy guy, and I'm not going to go into details to prove that. You just have to trust me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in addition to being wealthy, uh, God said that Job was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned away from evil. Now, Satan told God that the reason that Job was such a good guy was because God had blessed him and had built a hedge of protection around him, his possessions, and his family. And Satan challenged God and said, if you remove the hedge of protection that you've built around Job, uh, he's going to curse you to your face. In response, God went ahead and he removed the head of protection he had placed around Job, and he gave Satan permission to stretch out his hand against Job. So what were the results? Well, first of all, Job had ten children, and all of them died in a fire. Uh, He also lost 7,000 sheep, lost 3,000 camels, and was struck with sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. I would say all of us would agree that that is an example of affliction. Now, Job's wife and three of his uh, well-meaning friends give us good examples of how not to comfort others in the midst of affliction. Job's, Job's wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. So that's not a way to help someone who is suffering affliction. Tell them to curse God and die. It's interesting as you look at that passage that the word she used for God was not the word for the covenant God. So she had apparently forgotten how faithful, steadfast, and merciful God was. Now Job's response to her was, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Now guys are capable of this too. Uh, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, Job trusted the providence of a good God who loved him. Uh, As for Job's three friends, when they heard of his affliction, they made an appointment to go and uh, comfort him and show him sympathy. So far, so good. Upon seeing him, uh, they comforted him, by reminding him, and I took these things right out of the uh, book of Job, and again, they're a bad example of how to comfort others. They reminded him that the innocent never perish. In other words, you're not innocent. That the upright are never cut off. Those who plow iniquity reap the same. That God does not reject a blameless man. And finally, they told him he didn't fear God. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Uh, For a positive example of how to uh, comfort someone in the midst of affliction, we can look at Job's brothers and sisters and friends who had known him before all these bad things happened to him. Now, the Bible says that they were able to show him sympathy and comfort him. Now, it doesn't go into details exactly how they were able to do this, 
But uh, we can speculate that uh, they listened to Job. Uh, they didn't offer him unsolicited advice, which uh, no matter how good unsolicited advice is, usually it's not paid attention to. And uh, they didn't try to pinpoint the cause of his affliction. Now, that, that doesn't mean that when we're uh, dealing with uh, people who need to be uh, comforted that we don't uh, need to ask appropriate questions at times, but it does mean that we need to carefully look at our own motives in terms of doing so. So, um, as to how our affliction could be used by God in the lives of others, this is one of my wife's uh, favorite verses. It's from 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says, God, who comforts us in all our affliction, does so so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? What it basically means is this. If God afflicts me with cancer and then comforts me through other people, what he has done, he has has created a good work in advance for me to do. That means when I see someone else who has cancer, I am able to comfort them in a way that someone who has not had cancer is not able to comfort them. So that's, that's a good way that God uses uh, affliction in the lives of others. Okay, remember this, that God in his providence is purposeful in not only afflicting you, but providing you with opportunities to comfort other people who are dealing with the same afflictions that you have dealt with. And the perfect place to stay in touch with people so that we know what their afflictions are and are able to comfort them is the local church, for you and I, Park Church. Um, The Bible is clear that Christians need to live out their faith in the context of the church. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in God's vocabulary. Let me say that again. The Bible is clear that Christians should live out their faith in the church. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in God's vocabulary. Do all of you know who the Lone Ranger is, by the way? Okay, well, if you don't, talk to me after the service. Uh, In conclusion, and this really is the conclusion of my sermon, I would like to encourage you to ponder three things. First, there is no blessing to be gained, and we don't gain brownie points from God by tightening our belt and pulling up on our bootstraps by trying to tough it out by ourselves in the face of affliction. Those who look like they can weather any storm on their own are fueling their own pride and doing so for their own glory. Second, everyone faces affliction. Remember that those who have the gospel have God and are the beneficiary of all his promises, including the promise in Romans 8.29 that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. And if you don't know Christ yet, like Dan said last week, and correct me, Dan, if I misquote you, when you get Christ, you get God. And when you get God, you get all his goodness, including his promise that he will cause all things, including your afflictions, 
to work together for good. God is behind all affliction and can... Uh, And nothing can interfere with his purposes, both in giving affliction. uh, That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Okay. Third, the best example in the Bible of one who was afflicted and on no account of his own is Christ. Who was afflicted, as Colossians 1.24 says, for the sake of his body, the church. Christ suffered during his life and on the cross for those the Father had given him. And as Isaiah 53 says, and these words come straight from Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Only by remembering how Christ was afflicted in your place can you endure the affliction that God has brought into your life and will bring into your life in the future. Let me say that again. Only by remembering how Christ was afflicted in your place can you endure the affliction God has already brought into your life and will bring into your life in the future. So tonight, like every Sunday night, we're going to end this service by celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering all that God has done for those he has redeemed in Christ. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So if you've trusted Jesus for your justification before God, please join your brothers and sisters in remembering his death as you take the elements up here in the front in a few moments. Uh, Remember what he has done on your behalf in the sure hope of his coming again by taking the bread and dipping it in the wine. And if you haven't yet trusted Christ with your life, please take this time to uh, think about your present situation and the gospel message that Christ has died for your sins on the cross. So please join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you that you love us so much that you afflict us to draw us back to yourself. Uh, you afflict us to develop our character. You afflict us to show us uh, what our faith looks like. And we uh, thank you so much for planning from eternity that your son would be afflicted on our behalf on the cross. And uh, we just ask, Father, that uh, as we uh, are here today, that we would uh, generally have uh, grateful hearts for all that you have done for us in Christ. And we pray that even before we come up here, those of us who are Christians, that you would help us to examine our hearts 
And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.